Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 257. It's titled, It's Not Just Wealth That Compounds with Time. The Power of Compounding. Save early, save often. The Rule of 72. These are ways to illustrate that more time investing can lead to greater wealth. To be frank, though, the Rule of 72 is supposed to be simple, but I always have to look up what it means. It means that if you divide 72 by your annual rate of return, that's roughly how long it would take to double your money. If you have the fortune to earn 10% per year investing, we divide 72 by 10, that means we can double our money in 7.2 years. Rule of 72, I don't find it terribly intuitive, nor terribly useful. There's a recent article by Lance Roberts titled, Everything You're Being Told About Saving and Investing is Wrong. And he points out that the media loves to share some of these simple savings. He gives an example that was on CNBC. Here's the quote. If you start at age 23, for instance, you only have to save about $14 a day to be a millionaire by the age 67. That's assuming a 6% average annual investment return. There was another Example, from Investor's Business Daily. If you're earning $75,000 by age 40, you need 2.4 times your income or $180,000 in retirement savings. Simple as that. That assumes a 10% annual savings rate and a 6% annual rate of return. But it isn't quite that simple. Robert says the power of compounding only works when you do not lose money. And that's because... After you have some losses, we're trying to follow the rule of 72. It assumes you earn the same return every year. We don't earn the same return every year, typically. And if we lose money, we have to earn that money back. If you lose 50% in the market, you need a 100% return to get back to even. So you have $100,000. You lose half. It goes down to $50,000. Gain 100%. You're back to $100,000. But if you lose 60%, you have to gain 150% in order to get back to even. Now, if you only lose 20%, you need to earn 25% to get back to even. This is important in light of some of our discussions on having 100% in stocks. You have to be prepared to lose 50 to 60% if you're going to be 100% stocks, which means you need to be ready to earn 100 to 150% in order to make up those losses. And that can take time, three, four, five years or more. The other thing about sort of these simple compounding platitudes is the sequence of returns matters. 
the order in which the returns come. If you have $100,000 and it goes up 100%, then you have $200,000. Then if you lose 50%, you'll have $100,000. If we contrast that, if you have $100,000 and lose 50%, then you're down to $50,000, just like the earlier example. And then if you gain 100%, you're back to $100,000. A 100% gain followed by a 50% loss leaves you basically at the same point as if you lose 50% and then gain 100%. But what if you have $100,000 and lose 100% to start with? Then you're ruined. Or let's say you you have $100,000 and you lose 99%. Now you're down to $1,000. Doesn't matter. I guess if you earn 50% on top of that, then you're up to $1,500. So the sequence of returns matters. And it matters in terms of our experience. There was an article by Jason Zweig in the Wall Street Journal titled, What Yogi Berra Would Have Said About This Bull Market. I discussed this article this week in the Money with Friends podcast with Joe Salcihai. In that article, Zweig mentions that what you expect depends on what you have experienced. And he alluded to a memory bank that we remember our experiences and we remember the sequence of returns that we experienced. And that reflects our expectations of the market. I became an investment advisor in 1995. I remember the stock market, the U.S. stock market, went up 37% in 1995. The first crisis I remember was the Asian emerging markets crisis in 1997. I remember it because I had a client invested in an Asian emerging markets stock fund. Because they didn't want to go into a broad-based emerging markets fund because this particular client remembered the Mexican peso crisis. We probably shouldn't have been recommending emerging markets at all based on their valuations, but we did. I remember the internet bubble and working clients through that. I remember 2003 to 2007 as being a great time to invest. And I remember the great financial crisis and the impact that that had, shepherding client assets through that. But that's just one pattern of time. There's this concept of resampling. What if the crisis had happened first, followed by the internet bubble? Would my perception be different? Zweig points out, after 10 bullish years in stocks, some younger investors have no memory of losing serious amounts of money. That could make them think it can't happen. So we're changed with our experiences, our experience in the market the order of those experience in the market. There's a book called The End of Theory by Richard Bookstaber. And there's a great quote from the book. He says, we humans move from experience to experience. We learn, we invent, we create. We cannot already know what we will experience, what we will learn, invent, or create. It is the nature of humanity to harbor radical uncertainty. Fundamentally, We don't know where we are going, and we don't know who we will be when we get there. We essentially must live out our lives to see where they will go. There is no formula that allows us to fast forward to find out what the result will be. 
The world cannot be solved. It has to be lived. We live through time. We're changed by time. Yep, our portfolios are impacted by what happens through time. There is some compounding. Yes, losses can make a difference. We have to recover those losses. But there's other things that live through time and that grow and compound through time. We'll share some of those in this episode. I'm reading a book by Jenny O'Dell. It's titled, How to Do Nothing. And she gives the example of British artist David Hockney. She writes, Hockney valued painting because of the medium's relationship to time. According to him, an, an image contained the amount of time that went into making it, so that when someone looked at one of his paintings, they began to inhabit the physical bodily time of it being painted. It's no surprise then that Hockney initially disdained photography, although he sometimes used it in studies for paintings. He found a snapshot's relationship to time unrealistic because a, a snapshot froze a moment in time. Hockney said, photography is all right if you don't mind looking at the world from the point of view of a paralyzed cyclops for a split second. But that's not what it's like to live in the world or to convey the experience of living in the world because we live through time. In 1982, a curator from the Center Pompidou Museum went to Hockney's house in L.A. to document some of his paintings, and he left some of the Polaroid film behind. He was using a Polaroid camera. Hockney became curious and started taking pictures of things and got an idea. He built this concept or created a beautiful work of art. There was a collage of hundreds of pictures. But the pictures came together to form an image. This famous one is Pear Blossom Highway, 11th to 18th of April, 1986. He took the camera and went into the California desert. The Pear Blossom Highway is, goes through, you know, there's Joshua trees. Took him eight days, took hundreds of photographs, two weeks to put them all together. I'll link to it. In the show notes, you'll be able to see what this picture looks like. And it's fascinating because it is a picture made up of pictures taken through time from the 11th to 18th of April, yet it's one image. Odell points out, Hockney was trying to use a camera to undo the very essence of how we traditionally understand photography, which is a static framing of certain elements in an instant of time. Hockney said, from that first day, I was exhilarated. I realized that this sort of picture came closer to how we actually see, which is to say, not all at once, but rather in discrete, separate glimpses, which we then build up into our continuous experience of the world. There are hundreds of separate looks across time from which I synthesize my living impression of you. And this is wonderful. So we build up our continuous experience of the world through these discrete, separate glimpses or events. And that builds up. It becomes an experience. It's in our memory bank. And there's no shortcuts. We have to actually put in the time 
so we can grow and be changed by time. Author Truman Capote, in an interview in the Paris Review from 1957, you can't read the entire thing, either can I, because I'm not subscribed, but they give you a preview, and there's a quote, I loved it. Work is the only device I know of. Writing has laws of perspective, of light and shade, just as painting does, or music. If you are born to knowing them, fine. If not, learn them. Then rearrange the rules to suit yourself. We can't rearrange rules unless we actually put in the time to learn what the rules are. So there are no shortcuts. We love shortcuts. Take jeans, for example, a pair of blue jeans. You can buy a pair of distressed jeans. They're all ripped up and torn. Or you can actually wear a pair of, let's say, selvage denim jeans. I have a pair that's five years old. They're ripped. I've repaired them. They look like they've been distressed. But from years of wearing them, you could buy a pair from this really cool brand called Capital with a K, a Japanese brand. They have stores in Tokyo, the Bisu area, about three or four stores. Here's how James Smith of Heddles describes Capital. Capital produces some of the most esteemed denim in the market, as well as a wide range of unconventional clothing and accessories, all of which fuse traditional construction and dyeing techniques with a flair for avant-garde design. And indigo denim, is, they say, is a fundamental element of Capital's collection, often distressed so authentically the garment actually looks second or third hand. Or as David Sedaris put it in The New Yorker, the clothes capital cell are new but appear to have been previously worn, perhaps by someone who was shot or stabbed and then thrown off a boat. Everything looks as if it had been pulled from the evidence rack at a murder trial. I don't know how they do it. Most distressed clothes look fake. And that's true. Most of them doesn't. They look fake. They don't look authentic. Sedaris says, but not theirs. For some reason, do they put it in a dryer with broken glass and rusty steak knives? Do they drag it behind a tank over a still smoldering battlefield? How do they get the cuts and stains so right? Now, Capital, it's avant-garde clothing. I recall, as we talk about sequence of return and ruin, going to a boutique a number of years ago in Los Angeles, the owner was wearing some weird clothes, to be honest, and they were from Capital. I'd never heard of the brand. And he was so excited about them. It was the first U.S. distributor of Capital, and nobody really got the brand. So this guy bought so many clothes, unfortunately, it sunk his business. He didn't sell enough of it. But the point is, we can usually tell when something that is marked with age and experience, that there's no shortcuts, something that didn't pass through time. The Japanese have a word for it. It's wabi-sabi. Suetsuyanagi, in his book, The Unknown Craftsman, describes how we have a love of the irregular, a certain roughness behind which lurks hidden beauty. And we can tell when something there's shortcuts taken. What then are some non-monetary things that compound through time? Before we look at those things, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. 
Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. One is influence. You've heard of the term influencers. Well, that's not something you can buy. There's ways to sort of do that. I, in conjunction with my, my book, that's coming out in October, I had a call with a consulting firm because I wanted to learn about getting on bestsellers list. How does that work? Well, it turns out it's entirely gamed, or much of it is gamed. I could pay this consulting firm, and I, and I wouldn't, $30,000 plus buy 5,000 copies of the book. Or I'd put up the money to buy 5,000 copies and they would strategically buy books all around the country so it looks like it was organic sales. But 5,000 books will get you on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Trying to buy influence. It's not worth it. The way that you get influence is you pass through time. It's through word of mouth. It's by building mass. We talked a little bit about this a couple episodes ago on initial public offerings and venture capital. And this is what startup companies are doing. This whole idea of, of blitz scaling is trying to see this word of mouth growth. Now, some of them try to buy the influence. They put so much money in 
at the end of the day, it doesn't work unless individuals buy into whatever they're trying to not even sell, just usually use if it's some type of an app. But the idea is that it takes time. And as, as we talked about in that episode, the average private company is 10 to 12 years old. They've put the 10 to 12 years in building that influence. David Weinberger, in the book Everyday Chaos, talked about the Occupy Wall Street movement. I remember going to that in, in New York, or just through, is it Zuccotti Park? When I say I'm going through it, it makes it sound like it was an event. I mean, they, they, were, they were protesting. But it didn't have an objective. It wasn't an end game. It was just a protest to build influence. And so what, was it, what happened at the end? Well, think about the term the 1%. It's in the lexicon now. We're aware of it. And that was because of the Occupy Wall Street movement. Now, whether you're for or against that, but it's, we're aware of it. Weinberger writes, in fact, Occupy and many protest movements are like gravity in Einstein's sense. Space-time is reshaped by objects with mass. The more people who are pulled into the gravity, well, the greater the movement's mass. As its gravity grows, it starts to affect the environment more widely and more powerfully, sometimes at such a distance that people don't always know they're being pulled by it. That's how businesses are grown today, client by client, word of mouth. It's how my podcast has grown. It's how blogs grow. But it takes time. You have to pass through time. Another example of something that compounds over time is expertise. As we learn new things, we gain inventories of skills, which we can then combine in new and novel ways. That's what wisdom is, the judgment. It's based on our experiences and our expertise. There's no shortcut for that. Another thing that compounds with time is polish, perfection, creating something and making it better and better. I used to think books, for example, why does it take so long to get a book published? It should be faster than that. Well, you can't rush it. It is a lengthy process because you're trying to perfect or at least improve a body of work, and it takes time. I've sent my book out to 25 reviewers who were kind enough to take the time to provide candid feedback on the book. And so then I went through another round of improving it. And that's how we build something. But you have to pass through time in order to do that. So we need, in order to do that, we have to be able to invest our time and be aware of how we use our time because the world is full of distractions. Social media, the idea of the attention economy. Many of these startups, they're vying for our attention. We are selling our attention to them. Jenny O'Dell and How to Do Nothing says civil disobedience in the attention economy means withdrawing attention. But she says we don't do it by loudly quitting Facebook and then tweeting about it. Instead, she writes, a real withdrawal of attention happens first and foremost in the mind. What is needed then is not a once and for all type of quitting, but ongoing training, the ability to not just to withdraw attention, but to invest it somewhere else to enlarge and proliferate it, to improve its acuity. 
we need to invest our attention in activities that will compound over time. Things like creating things that will give us influence over time, learning new skills that we can invest and combine in different ways over time. That's how we should invest our attention. And we can take breaks from it. I love this book I recently finished by Thierry Paquat, The Art of the Siesta. He says, the originality of the work that each of us hopes to achieve depends largely upon containing control of our time. And you know you have control of your time if you can take a nap or take a siesta. And we can't always do that. I mean, some, some jobs just don't permit that. But we want at least some control so that we can be creative. He writes, the siesta is the means for us to reclaim our own time outside of the clockmaker's control. The siesta is our liberator. He says it's an act of rebellion. But ultimately, we need to invest, invest our funds, invest our money, but invest in activities that will compound over time our influence, our skills, our experience, our wisdom. And the reality is, as time passes, we're going to get older. And one of the ironies of the age is sometimes we want to take shortcuts and buy things that look old and distressed, but not ourselves. The American Society of Plastic Surgeons reports that Botox use among those aged 20 to 29 has increased 28% since 2010. There's a fear of getting old. There was an article in, in Vogue by... Lauren Valenti and Chloe Atkins, and they mentioned they interviewed a plastic surgeon who said lines get deeper and deeper with age. So if you start getting Botox early enough and it's done properly, you're not going to need as much in the future. But the authors warn, here's a quote, for younger patients wary of the frozen look. Remember, youthful faces move. Have you seen that? Somebody that's used too much Botox, they're frozen, frozen in time. They don't have any expression. We have to pass through time. We can't freeze time. So we live through time. Time changes us. We work hard and put in the time. Our influence grows. Our expertise grows. Our polish grows. Our skills grow. Our characters grow. And our wrinkles increase. But as we do those things, our wealth grows, not just through the compounding of monetary investments, but because we will earn superior returns in the marketplace of ideas. People want to hire us for what we bring to the table because of our influence, our wisdom, and our skills, because we've invested over time and we have gained experience as we have passed through time. That's episode 257. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free weekly insider's guides. I'll just email those links to you each week. You won't have to go back to my website. And I'll send you the weekly essay I do on money, investing, and economy, things that don't make it into the podcast, some of the best writing I do each week, just to you in your inbox. You can sign up at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific 
Risk situation have not provided investment advice. Simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.